Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Jim Callis. I am John Manuel. Thank you so much for the download, whether it's on iTunes or here at BaseballAmerica.com. And as always, the Baseball America podcast is brought to you by MLB Network. And back in June on MLB Network, Jim Callis was part of the broadcast of the 2010 draft, the first-year player draft. And Jim is here to break down the 2010 draft signing deadline, which comes up on midnight, uh, August 16th. That's going to be a long Monday, Jim. I think we both wish that they would go ahead and move that deadline up to 4 o'clock like the trade deadline. But the trade deadline, the, the draft deadline did not exist back in 1990 when Chipper Jones was the first overall pick in the draft. And Chipper Jones tore his left anterior cruciate ligament for the second time in his career this past week. There's a chance his career is over. His season's certainly over. But if his career's over, Jim... Are you with me that, uh, in your mind, Chipper Jones, does he rank as the number three, uh, the, the third best number one overall pick in the history of the draft after only A-Rod and King Griffey Jr.? Yeah, I think it's very fair, and I think if you want to look at it a little bit differently, and I will not take credit for this because somebody wrote about this at some point during the season, and I can't remember who, he's, you could argue he's the best number one overall draft pick uh, ever because the Braves kept him forever. The, the, the Braves got more out of him. Great point. Then the Mariners got out of, you know, they got a lot out of Griffey and A-Rod, obviously, but both those guys left. Whereas, you know, the Braves, you know, Chipper Jones is still with the organization 20 years later and this has done so much. So in terms of, of actual value provided to the drafting organization, he's probably the best number one pick. And, I mean, we don't need to belabor this part of it, but, I mean, 20 years ago there wasn't a ton of draft coverage. But, but at that point, probably the most hyped prospect in draft history was probably Todd Van Poppel and a, a lot of people thought the Braves were crazy for not taking Todd Van Poppel in the first round because there were sonability questions, and he had an agent who was riding to power uh, named Scott Boris. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and here we are 20 years later, and uh, you know, they obviously made the right call. That's a great point, and I just, I just love that, to, in my mind, he and Bobby Cox are inextricably linked. I mean, uh, Bobby Cox had just left the general manager's chair that year, correct, and gone to be the Braves manager in 1990. I believe that's correct. It might have been his last year as general manager. I think he was involved in the scouting because uh, I, I know I remember seeing a story that Bill Shanks had in his book about the inner workings of the Braves, where when Bobby Cox went and met with Todd Van Poppel before the draft, he just did not get a great feel either, just from a makeup standpoint. I, I can't remember if he thought Van Poppel was maybe a little bit timid or that was Bobby Cox was the GM. And he left that meeting and said so. He was very involved in the pick. He left that meeting and he said. Uh, a, a more stronger version of screw it, you know, we're taking Chipper Jones. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was the GM, so they're inextricably linked. Bobby Cox is the general manager who drafted Chipper Jones and has been his manager, obviously, since 1995. And you want to count 94, that's when Chipper had, was in, uh, tore his knee the first time in spring training. But I think if you're going to talk about the draft, you can put linking that with Chipper this week, not too hard. Uh, I think that's a great point that Chipper Jones – uh, maybe you can put him down. No organization got more value out of their own number one overall pick than the Atlanta Braves and Chipper Jones, certainly the face of that franchise. Now, Jim, uh, this year's uh, number one overall pick, obviously Bryce Harper, who might be one of the last players we're going to talk about. We are going to talk in this draft about all 30 clubs. It might be a little lightning round style, but we're going to talk about all 30 clubs, their unsigned players, and what we basically think those teams are going to do uh, with the rest of their unsigned picks. I think, Jim, the basic primer, you laid this out in SBA this week at BaseballAmerica.com. Expect these, the vast majority of the unsigned players in the first 10 rounds to sign, correct? Exactly. I mean, 
exactly. I mean, there's a lot of, I think angst is the best way to put it. If you're a fan of a team, uh, you know, you're, you're, you have picks in the top ten rounds, you're worried about having signed. We still have majority of first-rounders are unsigned. And uh, if judging by the number of emails I get, there's a lot of people worried. You know, my team's not going to sign prominent players. It took, and I guess the three things I tried to point out to kind of cool the waters uh, and get everybody calmed down a little bit are, one, it's not that uncommon. The more money a player's going to get, the least, the less likely it is that the teams have really even begun serious discussions at this point. You know, using you know Scott Boris's guys as an example, Harper and Manny Machado at the top of the draft at one and three. You know, Scott's probably going to take you to the deadline anyway. There's nothing served, even you know, here we are on Thursday of making your best offer at this point because Scott's not going to take it. He's going to wait and see if you bid against yourself. <laughs> uh, two. You know, last year, uh, 93% of the players in the first 10 rounds signed. And I haven't counted up. I don't have the, the most current number, but I think right now it's probably closer to 70 or 75%. There's a ton of unsigned guys. But the majority of these guys will sign. You know, the average team probably has one unsigned pick in the first 10 rounds. And then flip side, and I guess this is probably pointing mostly to Cardinals fans who have deluged me with Austin Wilson questions, is, you know, is my team going to sign expensive player X after the 10th round? And last year, we had six deals that were worth 500000 or more after the 10th round. So while those are possible, you don't see an awful lot of them. Usually the guys who fall out of the first 10 rounds are guys who put a number so much higher than what the teams thought their worth was at this point, or, or they just think their signability is next to nothing, that they don't bother you to take them early in the draft. So most of the most of the picks after the 10th round are, are not going to sign for big money. The, the chances of that are pretty remote. Right. It doesn't mean there won't be some of those, but there'll be fewer and further between than it seems like people. I think everybody feels like their club should have somebody in that range, and that's just not the way it works. I, I agree. I mean, most... Most most of the players who are going to sign by now have, but I think we're going to see a flood of signings uh, in the first ten rounds uh, over the weekend, and then the first rounders are probably really won't come till Monday, probably right, Jim? And it might even be slower than that, unfortunately. I mean, I've heard a few times today that from people that you know, MLB. We all know MLB. You know, not that they can directly punish you, but does everything they can to dissuade teams from spending more than MLB thinks they should spend on the draft. And this year I've been told, especially this week, that MLB has, has not only ramped up its efforts in that regard, they're also really leaning on teams and, and bringing the wrath of Bud if, uh, if if you do a deal and it gets out before MLB wants it out. So it's made the reporting a little less, uh, I guess, exciting or productive where you know guys who sometimes will tell you, hey, you know, this deal has happened, uh, are now saying, look, you know, I can't tell you quite yet. You know, you're on the right track, but it's not official yet, so I can't comment on it. And I've been told today by a couple people, you know, deals that I thought, you know, were going to be announced Tuesday or Wednesday still aren't announced. And now people are telling me deals they thought were going to be announced this week, you're probably looking at Sunday or Monday. I think MLB is going to just try to keep a lid on just about everything until Monday. So it's, you know, Monday has usually been reserved for first-round picks and seven-figure deals and a few other deals here and there where guys sign at the last minute. We might see, you know, instead of 30 or 40 deals on Monday, it might be 60 or 70 deals on Monday at this point. That sounds like a not-fun Monday. That sounds like a manic Monday. I wish it were well, Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think a manic Monday is a better way to put it. You know, I always compare this to, you know, I make the Christmas analogy on draft day where, you know, you finally get to open 
your presents and see who picks who. And this is kind of a Christmas analogy, too. You finally see who signs and what they get. So I, I guess I'll, I'll look at it in a more positive standpoint that uh, maybe I have to wait an extra two days for my presents, but uh, I get more presents to open. So. I like that. I like the positive spin. Well, let's dive right into the team-by-teams, Jim. This will be a little lightning roundish, but uh, we'll just start right off American League East, Baltimore Orioles, uh, obviously the number three overall pick, Manny Machado, uh, their third rounder, Dan Klein, still unsigned. They've already gone over slot with their fifth rounder, Connor Naren. They still have unsigned sixth rounder, Dixon Anderson, seventh rounder, Matt Bywater. We expect all those guys to sign. Three out of four, what are you thinking? I think Machado's definitely going to sign. Um, he, you know, he's one of the classic, you know, I don't, number could be north of $5 million, but he'll get offered more money than he can turn down. You know, Klein, I think there must have been some miscommunication going on there a little bit reading the tea leaves, but I'd be surprised if that didn't get done. And I would think they'd get at least one of Anderson and Bywater. So I'd say three out of four. Um, don't see any obvious uh, guys after the 10th round that they're going to make a big play at, although you know those tend to sneak up on us too. But there's no obvious guy who uh, I think is going to get done for them after the 10th round. Yeah, just looking at the rest of their draft, I mean, I, I like their 41st rounder, Cody Blanchard, but he's already number two on the quarterback depth chart at Jacksonville State, you know, as a true freshman. So I don't see him giving that up. The Boston Red Sox, Jim, are one of the most intriguing teams here. They've got they, – it seems like they, as much as any team, have a chance to go over slot for a lot of players. Is that fair? Are they the most likely to go over slot a lot organization? Yes, I think when all is said and done, uh, they, you know, they, along with the Orioles, are one of the camps in that, that same SBA column to spend more money than anybody in this draft. They're one of the four or five teams that will spend more than anybody. They may have more seven-figure players when all is said and done. I mean, they've already signed their first-round pick, Colburn Vidic, for 1.359. But Anthony Renato is going to cost some money there in the sandwich round. He made he made the draft and rebounding with a very strong Cape Cod season. He made some money in the Cape, did he not? He did. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where that comes in. I, I think we're looking... At least two. You know, we're at least looking top ten pick money. I just don't know how high over that, say, Scott Boris is looking for and high, how high over that the Red Sox will go. But I think he's going to get at least two. And then their next three picks in rounds two through four, Brandon Workman, Sean Coyle, Garen Cicchini, are all million-dollar price tags. And I think I think they're going to get at least three of those four guys done. Um, and I think, they may, I think there's a very good chance they get all four of those guys done. So they're going to spend it. And then they've got some later-round guys, too. You know, Chris Hernandez at Miami, Matthew Price at Virginia Tech, uh, Tyler Barnett, you know, the high school kid out of Hickory are all unsigned in the first ten rounds. And, you know, they had some interesting guys, you know, probably Adam Duke and Eric Jaffe more than anyone. After the tenth round, Hunter Renfro, a pop-up guy. Um, so I, I have a feeling that they'll do, you know, the Red Sox probably do summer follows as much as anybody and really stay on their guys. It would surprise me if they signed two or three guys after those million-dollar players to five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar contracts as well. So I think the Red Sox are going to spend uh, very, very much on this draft when we finally know who they get. There are chances going to be like a twelve to fifteen million dollar price tag draft for the Red Sox. Or are they not going to get that high because they don't have that? Unless they give Renato an awful lot of money because they don't have I don't that think one. That high. I think they're more of a. I'm going to guess around a ten million dollar draft. They just don't have that one guy. You, you don't get up to ten or eleven million really, or past that unless you have a. One guy getting five to seven million, it seems like. Right, or or if they if for some reason they said, you know what, we're just going to go all in, and they signed three or four, you know, guys after the tenth round for a million each. But I don't think it will be. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to get quite that high. Okay, uh, just naturally going by alphabetical order in the American League East, 
The next club is inextricably linked to the Red Sox, the New York Yankees. And, Jim, it looks like the Yankees, uh, you know, they, there's a possibility, it does appear, as you go through their draft, that there's really only one or two guys who they might even give a million dollars to in their draft. doesn't mean they haven't gone over slot, but this was um, a fairly conservative-looking draft for the Yankees right here. And I, I know I like some of the guys in their draft, but they're, they're unsigned top ten-round guys. Angelo Gums in the second, Mason Williams in the fourth, Taylor Morton in the ninth, Ben Gamble in the tenth. Those are all high school players. You think they're going to sign all four of those guys or just uh, three of the four? Not only do I think they're going to sign all four, I think they're all done except for maybe Mason Williams. At least done to the point of the players and the team know what the kid's going to get. Maybe a physical still has to be done. But the Yankees have been very, very quiet in terms of wanting deals to get out. Um, And I think most of those guys are already done. Um, And and like you said at the beginning, they don't have a $2 million guy in this draft like a Slate Heathcott or or what they would have paid Garrett Cole. And I don't even know if they're going to have a a $1.25 million guy like they did with the second-round pick last year in J.R. Murphy. I think they're going to have – I think they're going to sign all their players in the top ten rounds and a few players after the top ten. And I think they're going to have several $300,000 to $500,000 guys throughout the draft. And uh, is, is there anybody in there? Mason Williams says that, that might be the most, uh, not, not contentious, but the one that's the most touch and go, you think? Yeah, and I, and again, it's the Yankees, so I mean, they can sign these guys. I, I think Mason Williams, my guess is he'll probably get done. I don't know. I mean, you never know. I mean, if Mason Williams, say, had a, a seven-figure asking price, then, then no, he probably wouldn't get done. But I, I think the other three guys are virtually wrapped up, and Mason, you know, and Mason may be as well. They just try to keep a very close lid on everything. I'm a big, i got to tell you, I'm a big uh, Ben Gamble fan. I thought that was a very astute pick for the Yankees in the 10th round. I think if there were other if there were other clubs that had drafted him, you would have seen him at Florida State, but the, the lure of the New York Yankees is going to make that tough. Uh, the team that's uh, chasing the Yankees in the American League East at the top of the rankings, uh, top of the standings, I should say, Jim, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, you know, Tampa with the, uh, you know, they... To me, uh, it's surprising that Josh Sowley hasn't signed yet at 17. I'm, and his high school teammate, Drew Wilson, I'm stunned those guys didn't get done right off the bat, especially because their prep buddy, Ryan Brett, also from the Pacific Northwest, did get done. And then the day we're recording this, we have Austin Wood, their fourth-round pick, unsigned. He's making himself some money in the Cape Cod League, and he's pitching in the championship uh, game two of the championship game. Uh, Series today, they've got a lot of unsigned first rounders uh, or single digit picks uh, in this Rays system. Jim, uh, who do you think? Uh, how do, you, do you, how many of those guys do you think get signed by Tampa? Well, I think Sally and Vettelson, I, I don't know if they're done, but I think that the Rays knew when they picked them what it was going to cost them, and I just think it's a case where, where you know, especially with high school guys that have you know more leverage than say a college junior, that those guys are going to sign for over slot. I don't think it'll be crazy over slot. But I think they're both getting over slot bonuses, and, and that's why those deals aren't done. I mean, and, and, and this is why the signing deadline being as late as it is and MLB trying to, to keep the lid on deals till the end doesn't work. I mean, both those guys would have benefited from going out and playing pro ball this summer. I don't think it, it ruins them or really matters that much long term. But, you know, if you're going to give seven figures to a high school bat, you know, you'd like him to go out and play in rookie ball so he's more acclimated and more ready for low class A next year. I, I think both those guys will get done. You know, Austin Wood will be very, very interesting. Uh, you know, he was a guy who I think would have signed for, for maybe third-round money uh, if they'd signed him at the beginning of the summer. Um, he's had a tremendous cape. Uh, you know, the best arms in the cape 
He's the only one who stayed there all year. And right now, uh, as we record, uh, he's pitched four scoreless innings and in what could be the final playoff game. Um, I, you know, if that guy goes to Southern California next year, uh, he can make a lot more than third-round money if he built the one he did in the Cape. So I think that one's in doubt. Uh, Jesse Hahn from Virginia Tech. You know, they've got a bunch of interesting guys here. Jesse Hahn from Virginia Tech would have been a first-round pick. No doubt. But, you know, had an elbow injury. A month out from the draft, you know, or beginning of May, that guy was a first-rounder. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, but I think, from what I've heard, I think they're willing to, to try to make something happen there. So I, I think there's a good chance they do sign Jesse Hahn. Um, and, you know, Michael Lorenzen's also interesting. He's a guy who's a potential five-tool talent who, you know, I think the tools have always been maybe a little bit better than performance. You know, scouts want to see a little bit more performance. So he fell in the seventh round. Um, he was with the Team USA Junior team, I believe. Right, no, they, that's a, they couldn't uh, negotiate with him. He's a seventh-round pick, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But, they, you know, there's a team right there that you know, has th- you know two unsigned, you know, first round pick and sandwich pick, and then three very very intriguing guys, you know, in the fourth, sixth, and seventh round whose whose ceilings are first round ceilings. So they they could be spending big here down the stretch. Yeah, I, I like they they look like they're going to have a very interesting Monday, and I, I don't, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of guys beyond that for them, but that's enough of the players we just mentioned, uh, those first uh, ten round picks that are unsound, unsigned. Uh, to really wet race fans' appetites, and obviously the, the farm system there is in pretty good shape. Wrapping up the American League East, Toronto, Jim, had as many picks, really probably had more picks than any other team. Uh, how much of Toronto's uh, left to get done, and who do you expect to get done? Is uh, are they gonna, They're not going to botch signing uh, Deck McGuire 11 overall, are they? That's right. How much is this team going to spend? But uh, anyway, you know, Deck McGuire, I don't think, you know, with the first-round picks, those are just, those deals are going to happen. I think he'll probably, you know, I'd be shocked if he didn't sign. He probably gets a little over slot. He was a guy who, you know, could have gone as high as number six in the draft. I'm sure he will get done. Uh, You know, Griffin Murphy in the second round, I would assume, would get done. You know, I'm not sure about Sam Dice in the fourth round. I'm not sure how close that one is. And, you know, the Dickie Jeffon, there have been rumors that he's going to get a million and a half as a fifth-round pick. I think we thought he went, you know, athletic, uh, you know, projectable infielder out of Puerto Rico, son of Dickie Thon. I think as a group at Baseball America, we thought he went about where he should have gone in the draft and had a chance to be a good, you know, very high pick maybe three years down the road after getting out of Rice. But, you know, if he gets a million and a half, that obviously ups your, your cost a little bit, or, or not a little bit, but a lot. And, right. and then they've got, uh, you know, Logan Ehlers in the eighth round, the lefty out of Nebraska high school kid. You know, they might make a run to him uh, as well. Yeah, it's it's. I'll be surprised if all those guys get signed for, for the, the Blue Jays. To me, the Blue Jays have already had a good draft. I think you want to sign Deck McGuire um, and Griffin Murphy. But after that, for me, unless they really love the player – I'd be surprised if they went a little if they went crazy. They've already had a good draft. When you have extra picks, you could be a little more choosy, if you ask me. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, I do think. I mean, Dickie Jeff. I'll say one and a half for Dickie Jeff. One and a half million for Dickie Jeff. On, I would qualify as going crazy. <laughs> I think they'll do a couple other deals too, but I, I think it makes it a little bit more easy to walk away from a guy, you know, if you aren't on the same page with him. I agree. Moving on to the American League Central, uh, the good guys, White Sox. Their number one, their first pick, 
Chris Sale already in the big leagues. I mean, he's already got big league meal money coming in and major league salary to uh, you know supplement the bonus that he signed for. Uh, Jim, what's what's left for the good guys to, to wrap up the rest of this draft day? Well, they've got high school right-handers, fourth round Matthew Grimes. Uh, you know, he's kind of a, a late guy who was rising before the draft. I think I think there's a good chance to get that one done. He won't be a slot guy. Better than fifty-fifty, Jim. What's that? Better than fifty-fifty. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think I think there's a good chance that one gets done. Although, I mean, I don't think they'll go crazy over a slot. You know, Joe Terry in the eighth round, second baseman, junior college guy from Cerritos, California, maybe. I, you know, I think maybe they got one more big bullet to fire. Um, if they don't get Grimes, you know, maybe they sign Terry. I, I, don't, I think they've probably done most of what they're going to do between now and Monday. It sure seems that way. Um, and how about and then and then one of the teams that's got the most work to do is the Cleveland Indians. With four, their top four picks as of yet unsigned. Um, any of those going to get dicey for John Mirabelli and uh, Brad Grant and company? Well, you know, I, I don't. I think they have a chance to get a lot of these guys done. Although it's not going to be cheap. I mean, Drew Pomerantz was the top college pitcher drafted. I, I don't know if he'll necessarily get the major league contract that the top college pitcher drafted usually gets. But I mean, he's not going to be a slot guy. Yeah, there have been rumors. That, uh, you know, you, you, with LeVon Washington, about what, you know, he may want. I mean, there's that one and a half million that's been floating around, uh, which is, I think, what he sought last year when the Rays took him in the first round. And, you know, Scott Boer's clients, you know, Scott, you know, usually tries not to take less than what he thought the guy should have gotten the year before. So he could be pricey. I've heard Tony Walters could be looking for as much as $2 million. I've heard that as well. Um, heard that beginning of the summer. And obviously, there was. I And they just gave a half million dollars to uh, you know, a favorite of mine, Tyler Holt, the outfielder of Florida State. I don't know if Tyler Holt's going to be a big leaguer, but he is a fun college player to watch. I think he's going to be a fun player to watch in the minor leagues because the guy plays hard and plays with an attitude and plays with an edge and uh, kind of guy that teammates like and opponents hate and uh, media guys like because he, he's not afraid to speak his mind. It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Jim Callis. Jim, the Detroit Tigers took a guy at the top of their draft and Nick Castellanos, who I think we thought could have gone anywhere from 10 to, to 30, winds up going 44. They're going to have to pay him uh, a lot, it seems like, to get him uh, signed. And they haven't signed their first three picks with Nick Castellanos, Chance Ruffin, and Drew Smiley. What's, uh, what's it looking like with Detroit? Well, Nick, I mean, Nick Castellanos is a guy who, hey, granted, with a one-game look, he looked tremendous at the Under Armour game at Wrigley Field, and we'll be again this weekend. But he looked tremendous there last year. And, and I like Nick Castellanos. I thought he was a mid-first-round talent. There were some questions about uh, signability. And you know what's funny on him? I don't know what he's going to wind up signing for. But, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have you. Cause I bet, I'll bet your initial guess would be mine. Well, what do you think is, is a, a reasonably 
good deal that you would expect for Nick Castellanos uh, there in the sandwich round? I would I, personally, I would not go over you know two million dollars for Nick Castellanos. Yeah, well, I, I that's a lot. I, I know that's a lot. Thinking maybe you know because there were rumors you know his dad put out you know five or six million dollar price tag early right. in the spring, which you know then they tried to to distance themselves from a little bit. But anyway, I mean I would have thought okay two two and a half million, and I'm being told it could be more than twice the two million. Wow. <laughs> you know, not not from anybody involved. This is from people not not directly involved in the deal at all. So it's just rumored, but it, but there's talk he might get, you know, three and a half, four, who knows? So that that, that might be a huge number that, that makes everybody sit up and take notice. And besides him, you know, they've got they've got a pair of Longhorns and Chance Ruff and Nicole Green, who I thought, you know, the sandwich pick in a fourth round or one where they, they probably should have gone in the draft. I'm yep. maybe a little surprised they're not signed right now and and also a little surprised. I like both those guys a lot, but you know Detroit usually takes the big radar gun guys, and those guys, you know, Ruffin did throw hard this year. Green's kind of your classic pitchability right-hander. Ruffin's the kind of guy though who could get on the uh, you know the Perry slash Slareth uh, you know quick road to the big leagues. Oh no, you're right, you're right. So anyway, I would have thought those guys would have been signed, and they're not. And then uh, you know, Drew Smiley, their second-round pick, went you know about where he should go in the draft, but he's a draft-eligible sophomore. And uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on with them. Uh, I, I tell you who, I tell you they also have a late round sleeper, who's been lights out in the California Collegiate League and also in the NBC World Series. That's their 29th rounder, Chris Joyce. Uh, he was a 10th round pick of the Dodgers out of high school, 29th round pick out of Central Arizona. I've been told there's there's a lot of rumors swirling around that he can't go back to Central Arizona, whether it's academics or that there's something else going on. That he's motivated to sign, and he, I've heard reports of him 90 to 94 in the Cal Collegiate League. So that might be one to tuck away, Jim, uh, 29th rounder Chris Joyce for uh, Detroit. And I'm a, I'm a Chris Joyce uh, late convert. I missed him out of high school. He might be a guy that uh, I've heard him very good, very good things about him in the Cal Collegiate League. It's uh, the kind of thing that makes it worth it for us to do the ridiculous summer college league coverage that we do is digging up little nuggets like that. Um, moving on in the American League uh, Central, the Royals, a team that spent a lot of money last year uh, and the last couple of years in the draft, God, the last four years, it's really paying off. Their farm system really burgeoning with talent right now. And they've signed their first rounder, Christian Cologne. Brett Eibner is unsigned in their second round. Jason Adam unsigned in the fifth round. Uh, there's a little, those two are going to get done? painful to watch the first couple of years of the Dayton Moore administration. I have been a critic, there's no doubt. I'm not as big a critic as all the Royals fans out there who blog and these kind of things. But there are so many signs of them turning things around. Um, it's impossible to ignore. And if they wrap up this draft, Brett Eidner would be a nice guy to add. Uh, boy, would be an, a, another positive sign on the turnaround of this franchise. Uh, Minnesota Twins, Jim, uh, they signed Alex Wimmers. They've signed, it looks like, pretty much all their first 10-round guys Anyone after the fact, I know we got a Hawaii Collegiate League top 10 uh, ballot with uh, Tyler Caressa. He's going to be in our top 10. I know we had DeAndre Smelter, their 14th rounder, in our top 100 
uh, prospects. Cody Martin, their 20th rounder at Gonzaga, had a very good Cal Collegiate League. Any of those late-round guys you see as them uh, them signing? Yeah, maybe. they got another guy who's kind of interesting, Mark Payton, who's, uh, you know, he kind of fascinates me. He's a kid from up here in Illinois. Yeah. High foot eight, 165 pounds, but he can, he can really, really hit. He's a plus runner and a good center fielder. You know, it's almost a shame he throws left-handed because otherwise you can put him at second base and maybe hope he's Pedroia. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because, you know, he committed to Arizona State, and I believe he has asked out and been released from that commitment after Pat Murphy resigned and the program faces, you know, with the sanctions coming. Um, and so I think he might be more signable than people thought originally. Um, so he's another guy who, who might fit into that mix. Uh, you know, what the A.J. Octor guy they took in the 46th round had a great summer in the Cape. I don't think they'll do anything crazy, but it wouldn't surprise me if they signed a couple guys maybe in the three hundred dollars to $500,000 range. Yeah, but they, most of their work is done, though, correct? Uh, Mo- yes, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the Twins are not a crazy over-slot team. They've got, the, you know, I have not looked at this. They may be the only team that has all their players in the first 10 rounds signed to this point. Uh, and I think, you know, they may kick the tires on some guys, but, you know, if, if somebody wants 750 to sign, I don't think they're going to necessarily jump down that road. Yeah, I think yeah, that sounds about like like the Twins we know and love. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim had, again, a, a team right there with Toronto for the most picks in the draft, basically, uh, Jim. And Caleb Coward at the top of their list of unsigned players, our high school player of the year. Uh, you know, st- I don't think they, there was a pretty big numbers being thrown out by Caleb Coward. Casey Kelly-type numbers. Is he going to get Casey Kelly number uh, money from, the, uh, from Eddie Bain and the Angels? Of me that would love to see Caleb Cowart, a power arm, go to Florida State and dadgum it, see what the Seminole Nation would think of a guy who actually throws hard going to uh, Florida State. I, I think that Caleb Cowart could have a Buster Posey-type career, if not a better career, at Florida State. I'm not saying he's a better player than Buster Posey, but Buster Posey's college career started a little slow. But he just reminds me so much of Buster Posey, a guy who scouts think should pitch, but who wants to hit. Buster Posey proved that he could hit at a big league level. What an amazing rookie year he's having. And uh, Caleb Cowher, another Georgia product, who's a very similar type player to me. Uh, their fifth rounder, Jesus Valdez, or their seventh rounder, Josh Osich. Any chances of those two guys getting done? We know Osich is a pretty intriguing guy, 96, 97 miles an hour from the left side, who missed the whole year with Tommy John. Any chance you think they get those two guys done? Hart, you know, first, you know, big bonus when he was coming off of Tommy John. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what those guys are asking for, but I think they're still working on both Valdez and Osich, and, and I think there's also a chance that they maybe go after the, the their 11th round pick, Jake Rodriguez, who's a high school shortstop slash catcher from California. They might have a chance to get him done, too. Okay. Um, we're moving on to the Oakland A's, and Oakland, not a team that's thought of as an overslot club, and yet their second, third, and fourth round picks all unsigned, Jim, including a John Manuel personal cheese ball, uh, Aaron Shipman, who really had that great uh, 
and came on strong for the, right uh, before the draft down at Quitman, Georgia, and uh, Brooks County High School. Uh, what's the prognosis for Oakland, a team that's had a really, I don't, there's no other way to put it, a terrible year in their minor league system this year? And they were, you know, they were very aggressive late in last year's draft. You know, they gave a lot, you know, Max Stassi, that's right. Grant Green, I think people knew we were going to get paid, and they also gave Ian Kroll almost a million dollars. And those, that's honestly, first pro season. yeah, those three guys have been like the bright lights in their farm system this year. So, I mean, I think they're going to spend. Um, I think Jordi Caprera will get done. Um, I think he'll probably get some kind of seven-figure deal in the second round. Um, Aaron Shipman, you know, it's a question. Uh, you know, I think there's a good chance that gets done. Um, but, again, I think that would be a, a Monday type of deal. I, I don't think it would necessarily be seven figures, but I also don't think he's going to sign for, you know, real close to third-round slot money. I mean, you know, a guy like him, and, you know, and you can say this about a lot of high school kids, you know, if you're not going to get offered a boatload of money, out of high school, you get a chance to go enjoy the college experience and get better and probably get better paid. I mean, it's, it's a win-win situation in a lot of cases. And then you know, Chad Lewis, their fourth-round pick, um, he's a guy who I thought, you know, from what we, you know, we had reports on, went about where he should uh, should have gone in the draft. Um, you know, apparently, I guess he's an overslot guy if he hasn't signed by now. Um, I wouldn't think he'd be a huge, huge amount of money. Um, so I think they would have a chance to get that one done too. And you know they have been afraid to spend. I, I, I would bet they get all three of those guys done, and we just may not find it out about it until late Monday. Jim, we have a question uh, emailed into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com, and you can, of course, anyone can send their questions to us at that address or post them on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash baseballamerica. And it's about the Seattle Mariners, and uh, it's sent into us. I just uh, Mike Mahu, Maruhashi. Easy for me to say. Uh, Mike Maruhashi. Mike uh, asked, the Mariners have been active internationally. Do they have any chance of signing their remaining unsigned picks? He assumes that uh, Missouri prep Jordan Shipers, who I heard was 91-94 in the Cal Collegiate League, although extremely raw, um, he's hearing that's not going to happen. I'm hearing Shipers might happen. Uh, They've got two, three, and four-round picks unsigned, including the very intriguing no deadline to sign him James Paxton. Uh, what do you see happening with the Mariners, Jim? They're kind of up in the air right now. I mean, they signed their, their top pick, sandwich rounder, Taiwan Walker, very, very quickly, and then nothing, you know, nothing, you know, really over slot or, or very expensive since. Uh, you know, Marcus Littlewood is a guy who's, you know, probably a you know, seven-figure guy there maybe in the second round. You know, Ryan Stanek in the third round, uh, high school pitcher from Kansas. Uh, you know, I don't think he's, you know, I mean, he's not a slot guy by any means. He's going to want a lot more than where he went in the draft. Um, and he fell a little bit because of signability. Um, I, you know, I think what they're probably doing is, you know, if they sign both those guys, then maybe you don't sign a Jordan Shipers. If you can only sign one of them, then maybe you give the other guys money to Jordan Shipers and Paxton. Uh, <laughs> Paxton's kind of out of sight, out of mind for me, because I just assume they'll leave him on the back burner since they don't have to sign him before the deadline. He's a Boris guy, and, in, and that's going to be an interesting one. I mean, he's a guy who was a sandwich pick last year uh, before he went through troubles with the NCAA over not signing with the, the Blue Jays and, and comments the Blue Jays made about him using Boris. Um, did not look as good this spring in independent ball. He didn't look terrible, but he didn't look like a sandwich pick, and he went in the fourth round. And, you know, from a leverage standpoint, is this guy really going back into the draft for another year at age 23? Well, he's so only be 22. He is young. He's young. That's a, still, you know, is he going to go back and delay signing and go in for the third straight draft? But at the same time, is he going to take – I can't, well, I'll put it this way. I can't imagine they're asking for a lot less money than he could have had last year. No, I agree. So that's a dilemma. So I, I just – I don't think that one's going to happen. 
that's more of a, a September deal. That, you know, Boris has a lot of first-round picks he still have to sign, and I don't think James Paxton's a, a concern for either the Mariners or Boris, a uh, front-burner guy right now. Well, the Texas Rangers have been the, – the, the, the draft was not on the front burner for them. You're talking about a team that had to get sold and needed new ownership and had the very public uh, specter of their their uh, you know, their auction. Um, but now there's uh, – it had not stopped them from spending money at the major league level and making trades. It's not stopping them, Jim, in the draft. They just gave Luke Jackson, their 45th overall pick, their supplemental first-rounder, $1.557 million, which basically matched Jake Skoll, the 15th overall pick, their first-rounder. Uh, and they still have a couple of unsigned picks. Do we see them getting Justin Grimm done from your alma mater, Georgia? It's not like a – well, I can't imagine he's going to go back to Georgia. And then they have Nick Tepish, a longtime Jim Callis cheeseball. Garrett Bouchel, the slowest good player in America. You think they're going to get some of those guys signed? Uh, yeah, you're going to get some email now from uh, the state of Oklahoma after that comment. He's a, I said he's the slowest good player. He's a really oh, yeah. he's a really oh, good yeah. player. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I think Justin <laughs> Grimm's going to get done. And there's a lot of talk out there, and we'll see that – I mean, he might even get sandwich round money there in the fifth round. I think that one's definitely going to get done. Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, Tepish, you know, I, I don't know. That, that, that one, I don't know how much the team thinks he's worth or, or what yeah, the asking price is. I mean, he was a guy who wanted seven figures coming out of high school. When he went to Missouri, he was supposed to be the next guy after Max Scherzer and Aaron Crow and Kyle Gibson to be that first-round pick. And he's had a decent career, and he's shown good stuff, but he, he hasn't developed quite as much as people hope. So, he might be a guy, depending on what he gets offered, who could make almost as much just going back for for his year. You know, Bichelle, I'd be a little surprised on him. He's a draft-eligible sophomore, and he's a really good college player. But like you said, I mean, he's not he, – his speed is well below average. Um, you know, he's not a great profile guy because of that lack of speed and athleticism. Um, and I just can't imagine you're going to throw a bunch of money at him to where you're going to make it worth his while to come out now. But they could spend a lot of money, though, later on on a couple of high school guys. Brian Regeira, 30th round. Jake Cole, 24th round. Uh, I guess Regeira is a Stanford commit. Cole is a North Carolina commit. Uh, any chance that they uh, get one or both of those guys? I'd be surprised. You know, Trey Davis is another guy from Texas who would be a possibility. I mean, I, I just can't. I mean, I like Regeira, too, and we'll probably be talking about him a lot in the, you know, the draft three years from now. But I just, you know, to give up Stanford, I, I, you know, and I, he's represented or I should say advised by the Boris Corporation, I just can't imagine that you're going to sign him, you know, say for, it's got to be well into the seven figures. I, I just can't see them doing that. But I do think, you know, they, they spent heavily on, on Liv Jackson. I think they're going to spend a lot to get Grimm. And they may get a couple other guys. But I don't think they're going to do a, a big home run. Uh, and give, I, mean, I would think Brian Regeer would probably cost more than they spent for Luke Jackson today, and I just can't see him doing that. that that's reasonable. I think you're right. We've wrapped up the American League at the 42-minute mark. Actually, I guess it's a 39-minute mark. We started recording at three minutes in. We're going on to the National League right now, the Atlanta Braves, Jim, National League East. And the Braves, another club that uh, did not give their first bid. Well, they didn't have a first-rounder. I don't see a million-dollar bonus for the Braves yet. They appear to have signed all their first 10-round picks. But they do have a guy out there who wants seven figures a sign. That's Steven Sabol, the athletic uh, catcher slash outfielder out of California. And they have another Georgia kid in Zach Alvord, probably the best hitter among Georgia's middle infielders in a very deep class, uh, high school Georgia prep class. Uh, you hear any rumblings about the, the Braves going uh, over slot for one of those two guys? Yeah, I mean, those would be the two. I mean, they're the other team that signed their guys. And I did like their draft. I mean, I liked a lot of their picks. Uh, you know, that one, I think those guys are up in the air. You know, like we said at the start, 
You know, these are guys who, you know, I don't know if they would cost you seven figures, but I would think they would definitely cost you over $500,000. And as we said, you know, there's typically a half dozen deals like that in a draft. Uh, you know, I think we could see, you know, I think there's a chance. I don't think it's anywhere close to a lock, and, you know, we'll just have to see on those guys. Possibilities, but I don't think they're particularly close as of right now. Okay, and then the Florida Marlins really seem like they have basically two big questions. Christian Yelich, their first uh, their first rounder, I think we all expect that he's in a sign. And then their fourth rounder, Andrew Tolles, who was not a consensus guy, definitely a consensus as one of the better athletes in uh, Georgia in a state that, again, was a Washington athlete. But the scouts that I talked to, Tolles' athleticism certainly didn't stand out. In the, so you had plenty of other options in the state of Georgia with guys who also were better baseball players. Uh, than Andrew Tolles, but uh, well, he's. What are the chances they sign both of those guys? Is there anybody else after those two guys who, are, who they could sign? Yeah, it's interesting because you know the Marlins are known for not going over slot very much, and they just gave their seventh round pick three hundred thousand dollars and their third round pick six hundred thousand dollars. You know, Yelich. I mean, I've heard talk that his price tag might be around two million dollars, and their slot is. Uh, you know, they're at the twenty third pick. Their slot is one point two six million. So, I mean, there's a difference there. You know, and I, I can't think of the last time the Marlins went that far over slot to sign a guy. So, I, again, I think they'll sign him. I don't think you take him there if you're not planning on signing him. But, that, you know, that, that, that's an interesting one. And then Tolls, I just don't have a great feel for Tolls because he wasn't a top 200 guy for us. I think he's represented by his father, who's a former NFL linebacker. Um, the Marlins generally are, are maybe, uh, best way to put it, is more tight mouth than a lot of clubs or than many clubs in terms of negotiations. So there's no real way to kind of crack into that one and find out what's going on. I, he might be, of, of all the picks in the first ten rounds, one of the two or three guys I feel like I just don't have any feel for what's going to happen. Interesting. He's a little, a little, uh, a little unpredictable with Florida. Um, but New York, I mean, obviously the Mets have gone pretty far backwards since the draft. And, you know, in June they were kind of in it. You know, there was some optimism with the Mets. Now you've got uh, you know, the Johan Santana situation. you got K-Rod <laughs> beaten up. I, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Assault, nice. Come on. Assaulting his father-in-law. Maybe the... his father-in-law one day. You won't think that's very funny. <laughs> You're right. But, uh, yeah, the Mets, again, not an organization known for going over slot, Jim. It seems, though, that they're going to have to do that to uh, you know, make, uh, make Matt Harvey happy, a Boris Corporation client. They going to get Matt Harvey done seventh overall pick. Well, here's the interesting about the Mets. You know, they you know who typically you know played as conservative just about anybody. They've got two unsigned picks in the first twenty rounds. They're both Boers clients by the Boers Corporation. That's right. I think, and I use this answer a lot. I think they'll get Matt Harvey signed because when you took him seventh, you knew who his agent was. Uh, you know, they had to have some idea that you know Boers guys don't usually sign for slot at the top of the draft, although. I will say this. I mean, I think Matt Harvey came back and had a very nice year after some inconsistency in North Carolina. I think he went about as high in the draft as he was going to go, though. Uh, so I'm not sure why he necessarily needs to command more than that $2.178 million slot. But, you know, if he signs around two and a half, I wouldn't be surprised. And, again, I, I, if you take a guy like that at seventh, and, you know, it's not like it was a surprise who his agent was because, you know, Matt, Matt Harvey was advised by Boris coming out of high school. Right. You've got to be prepared to spend. So I, I, if they don't get that done – then that's that's just a horrible move to take him in the first place. I just expect. Um, I do think they'll get it done. I think there's. I think they'll probably get PV done as well. Um, I don't think PV's going to be a seven-figure guy, but he'll be an overslot guy. And then, kind of the interesting sleeper who who I don't think this guy will be a 
you know, maybe he's a half-million-dollar guy at most. But Memphis has an outfielder named Drew Martinez, who is one of the better hitters in the Cape League this summer. So he might be a guy they try to sign here real late in the summer. He also, uh, I think there's a good chance they might sign him because he was leaving his team. And granted, I don't know if, if Memphis is starting school pretty quick, but he was going to leave Brewster. Um, even He was going to leave even if they'd advanced to the second round of the playoffs. So oh, wow, okay. uh, there may be something cooking with him, you know, as a three hundred to $500,000 type of thing. And I, I like that guy. I think he's a pretty intriguing guy. Um, let's move on to the Philadelphia Phillies. And they have a fifth rounder who's kind of their big target, I guess, at this point, would be Scott Frazier out of, uh, out of California. Is he the number one target for the Phillies? Do they have some down draft guys that Marty Wolliver and company are going to try to – is there basically – is there a Jared Cozart, 39th rounder, down here somewhere for the Phillies? You know, you know Frazier was a guy who uh, – you know, I don't think he was a slam-dunk first-rounder, but you know, he was a guy we were hearing late first-round, supplemental first-round you know, type of stuff before the draft. So – my guess, considering what we had heard on him and where he fell in the draft, and you're probably talking some kind of seven-figure price tag there. I think he is their top target. I mean, the only other guys they have early, early Brent Allen, you know, the outfielder from high school, outfielder from California, who's interesting. You know, John Hinson from Clemson, who had a nice cape. Uh, you know, Kevin Walter, Jonathan Muster, a couple of high school right-handed pitchers. They took down the 20s and have some upside. But I think Frazier's definitely the guy. They're trying to get. You know, the other guy they took, who, who I think was in your draft region, that, that you handled, John, Jimmy Hodgskin was yeah. one of the better high school lefties around. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think Hodgskin's going to get done down in the 43rd round. Yeah, and I, th- I will say the one thing with Henson that's really interesting to watch is that third base is an area of concern in the Phillies organization. Doing their top 30 every year, they just don't have third basemen. And they've spent some high picks on it. Cody Overbeck was like a ninth rounder. They spent the second rounder, I think it was, out of a kid uh, out of uh, Washington State. I can't even remember his name anymore. Uh, I know they liked him when they drafted him, but he hasn't really panned out, hasn't gotten out of A ball. There's not a, a, a third baseman really in that organization, and there's not a third baseman, you know, a classic third baseman at the top of the organization at the big leagues. Of course, the question with John Henson is can he handle third base defensively? So I think that's an interesting one to watch just when you look at the player. You know, He had a good junior season, a redshirt sophomore season. He's got a little bit of leverage, but he's also got some medical issues. And then, like you said, he had a good cape. So And he's athletic, which I think endears him to the Phillies organization. Uh, moving on, in the national, wrapping up uh, in the National League East, uh, obviously the big matzo ball out there with the Washington Nationals is Bryce Harper. I think, Jim, we all think is going to be a major upset if he does not sign. It is a unique situation, clearly, for Bryce Harper when you're that young. But his coach at J.C. at Southern Nevada is no longer there, Tim Chambers. He's moved on, and not to a job with the Nationals. He's moved on as a Division One head coach at UNLV. Um, is there any chance you think Bryce Harper doesn't sign? No. I mean, you know, and again, I mean, I, I get a million questions. I mean, I know you're asking for podcast purposes, so I'm not trying to be condescending to you, John. But That's okay. We went through this with Strasburg last year, and so many people would ask me, you know, even in the media, oh, is this going to get done? It seems like, you know, they're not even close. And your ESPN breathlessly reported in July, Strasburg negotiations behind pace. And, and the thing is with Harper – there's no point if you're the Nationals to even make anything close to your best offer right now because, you know, Boris is not going to take it. I mean, here's the way I think this one's going to play out. And then again, he falls under the category of, one, I think he's so talented he's going to get offered too much to turn down. And two, like we were just saying about Matt Harvey, you knew what you were getting into when you took him. So you've got to be prepared to spend. He, we've talked about this before, not on the podcast, but he's really kind of not a prisoner of his own talent, but he's almost trapped a little bit. He's too good to go back to school. Yeah, I mean, 
show about how, you know, Scott Boris, who's very successful, operates. I'm sure Scott, you know, his, his initial target is going to be to get more money than Strasburg got last year, which is $15.1 million. And I, I, would, I think it's very reasonable to think that the low end of what Scott's looking for is to establish a new record for a position player, Correct. which is $9.5 million that Mark Teixeira got in 2001. And, and Teixeira wound up getting more like, really, with the roster stuff, it was more like a, almost an 11.4 guarantee. No, no, it was, I mean, Scott also you often structures contracts where you basically, you know, unless you're dead, you're going to get a bunch <laughs> of extra money. That's, but what's great is the team kicks that in knowing they're going to have to pay it. But from MLB's standpoint, MLB doesn't get his worked out because that's not guaranteed money. But so anyway, I think he's going to look at that, and I'm sure he's going to remind the Nationals, too, that, you know, there's been a lot of inflation since 2001. So I think he's looking 10 to $15 million. And if I'm the Nationals, you know, I might be willing to give him $8 million right now. But I know if I offer eight, you know, Scott's technique, and it's very effective, is unless you meet the numbers Scott and his player have come up with, Scott's going to let you go all the way to the deadline to bid against yourself because a lot of times teams will. So there's really no sense in making anywhere close to your final offer right now if you're the Nationals because unless it's Scott's number, he's not going to take it. But I think he'll get done. I think he'll get somewhere between 10 and 12. I do think it'll be a big league deal because if it's a big league deal, then you can make it a 2011 contract. He'd have four options, and he wouldn't have to be in the big leagues until 2015, so then you can spread the money out. And that guy's the bottom line is, if, if his contract is an issue and he's not ready for the big leagues by 2015, then you've got problems anyway. Exactly I, right. No, I, I think it's a big league deal, and it'll be a nice big number, and it'll be easier to spread that out over four or five years if, if you do that. Couldn't so, agree with you more. They, but they also have more matzo balls out there than just you know Bryce Harper. Sammy Solis, 51st overall pick. A.J. Cole. I have a feeling A.J. Cole's not going to get done, Jim. But that's my feeling, too. I mean, this is another team that could wind up. Uh, you know, they, they spent a record over $11 million on the draft last year. They're another contender this year to spend more than anybody. Uh, there, there's talk that Solis may already have a, a seven-figure deal in place. You know, that, that rumor's been floating around for a little bit. Um, I think he's going to get paid. I just, you know, Cole fell in the fourth round. That tells me, again, that, you know, Cole was a guy who was a potential first-round pick that his number was out of whack to what people thought he was worth. And as talented as he is, I mean, there is some, some people who think that he's inconsistent and, you know, you know, soft a little bit at times. And I think he's, you know, that may be tough to do. I think Cole Moore gets done if for some reason they didn't sign Harper or Solis. Um, but i got to think Cole is probably looking for, just based on where he fell and, and where we had him paid, I would think for a number that at least begins with a two, John. Yeah. And I don't know if you're giving him two, if yeah. you're giving – Bryce Harper, $10 million plus, and Sammy Solis, a million or a million and a half. I'm not sure if you're giving A.J. Cole $2 million at that point. No, no I don't think A.J. Cole signing. Like you said, I think he is going to – I think he's the most unlikely, like, big name to sign outside of Zach Lee, who we'll get to later. Or Austin uh, Wilson, who we'll get to later. Yeah, yeah, I guess Austin Wilson has always been in the, in the, in the not-going-to-sign group for me. I don't know uh, – I don't know. I don't lump him in with the other guys. I never expected him to sign. No, you're right. It's a fair point. I mean, it's – uh, it's just gotten old. Out of mind for so long because when we went where I went on draft day, it was pretty obvious that that, that was going to happen. Yeah. Well, let's move on. We're, we're tearing through these. It's a very nice pace. I, I love this pace. I hope people do. It's a Baseball America podcast with John and Jim and talking a little draft uh, deadline, and this is a fun way to do it. Jim, the Cubs, first of all, <laughs> I think, is it safe to say that you and I are both really rooting for Hayden Simpson just because of our personal affinity and respect that we have for Tim Wilkin? Or is it safe to say that we're both kind of like, man, I love Tim Wilkin, but I can't believe he drafted Hayden Simpson? <laughs> well, I think 
think I will go on record as kind of being in both those categories. I mean, yeah, me too. <laughs> and you know, and then the thing is, people around baseball, well, you know, you ask them about Simpson or about Jeff Samarge a few years ago, and they'll be like, "Well, it's hard to argue with Tim's track record." I just and Taylor Tyler Colvin, look at Tyler Colvin, who'd never done much of the minor leagues, having a great rookie year. Yeah, and you know, and you're right, and he's you know, so I mean, there's a, there's a feather, another feather in Tim's cap. I mean, you know, what it boils down to is the Cubs saw Simpson really, really well. Uh, you know, I, I do Arkansas draft coverage for us, and I talked to a number of other teams who liked him. I, I just thought he was a fourth to sixth round pick. They, they saw much more than that. I do think I do think the draft board played into it a little bit, you know, where maybe some other guys they liked might have been gone, and, and, you know, he became the guy. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I like him Simpson. He has a good arm. Uh, I would not have taken him 16th in the draft. I probably wouldn't have taken him in the top three rounds, but – you know, I will. I will say, you know, Tim Wilkin and, and those guys have scouted a lot longer than I have. They got a number of looks at him and liked him. Uh, so I'm not going to claim I'm a better scout than them. I just, I, I still am surprised by that. And, and because he comes down with mono, we don't even get to see him pitch this summer. So we'll have to wait till next spring. But that will that will be an interesting one to see how it plays out. Yeah, and I mean, the other one of the other guys that uh, Timmy st- stuck his neck out on the most, Chris Hughesby. Um, I don't know why I just sent an email, <laughs> but Chris Hughesby is a guy. They've now switched to, to hitting in the Northwest League, which just uh, stuns me. I mean, that's a guy they gave $1.3 million after he pitched six innings in high school after having Tommy John surgery as a junior. And now that guy's playing right field for Boise. Uh, Yvonne DeJesus, Ben Wells, the other K-Rod, Kevin Roderick. Any of those guys likely to sign? Brooks Pinker down in the 18th round, Jim, a guy that we kind of liked? I don't uh, think Pinker's going to sign just because he's a draft-eligible sophomore. Yeah. And, and he strikes me as a guy who could make a lot more money if he comes out and has a good year next year. Clayton Crum. Um, one of my personal favorites in the 33rd round, a, a Juco pitcher who saw it on the Cape this summer, a kid named Matt Stites. Yep. Um, so I like him. You know, I, I'm not sure. I think all those guys, DeJesus, Wells, and Roderick, could go either way. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know specific asking prices, so I don't know how in line they are with, with maybe what the market would perceive them as. I, I think my guess would be that they'd sign probably two of the three. Okay. Um, you know, ben Wells is a guy who popped up real late in the summer, also in Arkansas. Um, uh, you know, Simpson was more of a known quantity. I just don't know, you know, because Wells popped up so late. I mean, I had guys tell me he could have been like maybe a third-round pick, but he just he emerged so late, nobody really had a chance to scout him. And I just don't know, does he want third-round money, or is he thinking, hey, if I go to Arkansas, you know, maybe I'm a first-rounder in three years. So I, I just don't know the thinking behind that one. But you know, DeJesus, uh, you know, athletic outfielder from Puerto Rico. Not related to the Ivan DeJesus who used to play for the Cubs. And, you know, Roderick, you know, has been an effective college closer. Uh, we'll see. I think all those guys are possibilities. Um, you know, my guess would be they signed at least one and probably two. Moving on to the Cincinnati Reds. I think it's fascinating that the Reds, at draft time, it just seems so natural for them to draft. He has Monte Grandal, 12th overall pick. Uh, you know, top college catcher in this draft, uh, especially when, when Bryce Harper is not drafted as a catcher, drafted as an outfielder. Uh, but then since they drafted Grindall, we've heard all these rumors are going to sign for 3.1, 3.2, 3.15. All these rumors are going to sign. In the meantime, Devin Mesrocco, the last catcher they drafted in the first round, just had a hellaciously good year. I mean, he's had a tremendous year. Almost seems like the if the Reds wanted to, they could have a little more hand. And last time they drafted a University of Miami player, uh, you know, Yonder Alonso, I thought they had him signed. Yeah, they drafted him because they thought they had him signed for less than it would take for some other players. And when I'm signing, taking them more, that is something of a big league contract. Grandal's going to get done, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, and, and I've heard, I've heard, again, I don't know if it's done or, hey, they 
they agreed to pay it, and they still have to work it out. But I mean, even before the College World Series, we were hearing that there might be a deal there that began with a three. Right. Um, and I keep hearing that. And I, you know, <laughs> if that's true, uh, I am sure if I'm the Reds, there's no way I'm confirming that. And I've tried to get the Reds to confirm it, and, <laughs> and they've said, "Ah, nothing's official." Can, you know. And I'm sure if I'm the Reds, I'm telling the agents and, and everybody else involved with the deal, you know, if we're doing this, this better stay quiet until we're ready to announce it. So I suspect Rundall may very well be done, and if the number does begin with a three, we are not going to hear about it till probably, I don't know, 10 p.m. next Monday night. But I'd, I'd be shocked if he didn't sign. And, in fact, I, I, I strongly suspect he might have been done almost two months ago. I agree. And then they did sign one of your favorite players in the draft ever, Lucas O'Rear. I think you love Lucas O'Rear. Uh, they got all kinds of my favorite. They took Lucas O'Rear, and they also took Ryan Lamar, who I thought was a steal in the second round. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, they, they, the other guy they're negotiating with, uh, uh, who I guess selfishly, if I had my way, would go to college because he, he would go to my alma mater of Georgia, Cisco, yeah. in the sixth round. I think there's a good chance they're going to get through Cisco done, too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with Jean et Jim. We're past the one-hour mark. I'm talking like we're talking about the big ragu in in, in Omaha ten years ago, but it's just it's just too much fun to talk like that. Jim, the Houston Astros have bolstered their farm system, maybe not as much as they maybe we would have thought by trading away Roy Oswalt and uh, Lance Berkman, and now they've uh, you know they've, they've gone into the draft and they're spending money in the draft. They had a few extra picks. They didn't necessarily take uh, consensus guys. But they've got Austin Waits, kind of a tweener-type guy, the 90th overall pick, still unsigned. Adam Plutko was all over some draft boards. I think they took him in the sixth round right where we probably thought he should go. He's unsigned. Uh, Jacoby Jones, Boris Corporation client, 19th round. He's he's the most likely guy after the 10th round for them to make a statement if they wanted to make a statement. How likely do you think it is that the Astros assign all three of those guys? sounds that way to me as well. You've got uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, with really uh, most of the intrigue surrounding them revolves around Dylan Covey, their first overall, their first pick, uh, what do you go, 14th overall. Here's a guy whose draft stock was kind of plummeting as the draft approached. Um, well, what are the chances that Dylan Covey doesn't go to school, I mean doesn't go to, uh, doesn't sign and winds up going to college? It seems like he's, he's going to sign, isn't he? Behind, uh, behind James Tyone, 
And then he was getting passed by some guys, and, and, and where he was going to fall was a little bit more uncertain. And, you know, and I think what's happened there, it, the, the number I'd always heard on him, the asking price I always heard on him was around $2 million. Right. Um, his slot's 1.6. And even if, you know, the, the Brewers said when they took him, we'll give you the two. Uh, you know, if it's 2.5 or whatever. But even if it's just two, if the Brewers wanted to pay him two, MLB would be making him wait till Friday, Saturday, or Sunday before he could go 400000 over slot. So I, I, I suspect that, you know, unless I've underestimated what Kobe's looking for, that the two sides probably have a very good understanding of what it's going to take. And, and that one, it would very much surprise me if it didn't get done. Any chance of uh, anyone down uh, downdraft like uh, Daniel Gibson, the uh, alias Booby Gibson, their 26 rounder out of uh, Tampa Jesuit High, where he was the second coolest player on the team after Lance McCullers Jr. Um, you know, I mean, Gibson's a guy who should have gone a lot higher, and obviously fell because his asking price was high. I've always looked at that as the backup plan. You know, for some reason things fell through with Kobe, then you pay Gibson. There you go. Not necessarily you give him two million dollars, but you know. You, whatever his price tag is, and you'd pay him and make up for Kobe. So I, sure. I don't see them getting him unless Kobe blew up. The, the one's going to be kind of interesting, and it wouldn't be big money. It, you know, they took Chad Jones in the 50th round out of LSU. And, right. And, and, you know, Chad, you know, probably could have been a, a sandwich pick out of high school if he was signable then. And he probably could have been, or at least had the potential to be a first-round pick as either an outfielder or a left-handed pitcher had he been a baseball-only guy. And he wound up being a third-round draft pick of the Giants in the NFL draft and then got in a, a horrible, sounds like, car accident where there was fear he was going to lose his leg. And he did lose his leg. There's some concern as, you know, how well is he going to run again. I wonder if the Brewers are going to lock him up in case, you know, his football career is over. Jake Locker um, style. And, you know, maybe make him a left-handed pitcher. So that's why I'll be kind of curious to see if that one gets done. That would be a smart move to make. I mean, that's a smart pick to, to have taken him before. Obviously, there was no knowledge about the car wreck at that time. But it's just smart to lock him up. Why not? What's the harm? It's 50th round. Where are you going to get in the 50th round anyway? You took a, a guy with first round upside in the 50th round. And you know, even if he hadn't gotten hurt, I always wonder if they would do what the Angels did with Jake Locker last mm-hmm. year. Who, you know, Jake Locker could be the first round pick in next year's NFL draft. But the Angels gave him a couple hundred thousand dollars to tie up his baseball rights just in case he ever wants to play baseball because he's that kind of athlete. Uh, you know, why not take a shot like that if you're the Brewers? I agree. Jim Oscar Shutt, who's a longtime Baseball America podcast listener and frequent uh, question asker, asks, how likely is it the Pirates sign both Tyone, Jameson Tyone, and Stetson Alley? And do you feel like the Pirates are making progress in improving their minor league system? Uh, they're going to go a long way toward making progress in their minor league, minor league system, Jim, if they sign arguably the two pitchers that had the best stuff, just pure stuff, in this entire draft for both these two high school guys, they got at 2-52, and 52, Jamison Tyone and Stetson Alley. Don't you agree? I agree. That, that, that question, I would say, is, is perhaps a $9 million question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, both Tyone and Alley are represented by Hendricks Sports Management. And, and obviously, you're not negotiating them as a package deal. But obviously, uh, Alley's agent is going to know what Tyone's getting and vice versa. Um, I would think that Tyone might cost 5 or $6 million. Yeah, Ali is very interesting because, again, he's like Nick Castellanos, who we talked about, and a couple other guys. I mean, he should have been a, a mid-first round pick. On talent, yes. And for him to go to the 52nd pick indicates to me that his number out there had to be pretty huge. You know, if his number was a million and a half, and I'm sure it's more than that, he would have been a sandwich pick or something. Uh, you know, he, he would be a guy, if he went to North Carolina... He would be eligible for the draft in two years, so it's not like he has to wait three years to go back into the draft. 
Um, I would be surprised if his number, uh, or at least the number he was seeking, perhaps began with a three. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're talking about the Pirates who've spent more money on the draft than any team in the last two years. They've been aggressive. It's, I mean, believe me, scouting directors mention this all the time. Uh, I wouldn't even use irony. It might not be the right word, but the, uh, they might say ridiculousness because it, it just ticks people off. You know, the club president is Frank Cooley, who when he worked for MLB, his job was to lean on the teams and tell you not to sign draft picks over slide. And since he's been with the Pirates, they've been spending more money on the draft than anybody. And yeah, that's not irony. That's that's uh, ridiculous. That, I mean, that's it, the it word. It makes people kind of angry. But, uh, but, you know, that said, I mean, I think it, it shows, again, it kind of points out the, the futility of sliding. If you're a small revenue team, this is how you have to build your team. I, I do think, getting back to, to the question we had, I do think they're adding more depth to their system. Uh, you know, they still have a ways to go. They need more, I think, superstar, cornerstone type of players, which is why I think they took Tyone and Alley. Um, they've not gone. They've gone over slot, you know, for I think a couple guys, but not crazy over slot yet. So I think that you know, if they spend close to ten million on the draft again, that would get them Tyone and Alley. And, you know, they also have a, a bunch of other unsigned guys too. I think they'll probably. You know, they signed a kid named Ryan Hafter out of Missouri for 450000 last week. Uh, I think they're probably going to sign some guys for 500000 Maybe a, they might have a million-dollar guy hiding somewhere down lower. Than and you get Hirsch, Kubica, Dace Kime, Zach Weiss. They've got a lot of unsigned players. They're all, of course, high school pitchers, basically. Um, you know, the one thing I would say, my critique, I guess, if, if there's a critique of the Pirates' approach, both in this draft and in their farm system, is I don't see high-ceiling up-the-middle players. You know, they have Tony Sanchez behind the plate. Not a lot of other catching. And shortstop, second base, you just don't see anything there. And, you know, my first organization I did top 30s on, well, they were San Francisco and Toronto. So I was lucky. I talked to Chris Buckley and Tim Wilkin and the old school Blue Jays a lot. And on the first year to the Blue Jays, they had a big leaguer at second base or sometimes and second base and shortstop at every level in the minor leagues that year from, like, uh, you know, Orlando Hudson in Medicine Hat to Michael Young and Cesar Asturias in Hagerstown, like all the way up the chain. It was it was ridiculous the amount of talent they had at second base and shortstop in that organization. Felipe Lopez, you know, Chris Woodard who had a nice long career as a utility guy, and that was smart. I thought that was a smart approach, and I just don't see that in Pittsburgh. It's like the opposite. So, you know, maybe that's you know that colors my experience maybe a little bit more than it should. Uh, but I really think that Pitt, that's an area of concern if I were a Pirates fan. Um, no, I, mean, I do think they've tried to address it a little bit. I mean, there was probably more divided opinion on Mel Rojas Jr. than just about anyone. But, you know, Mel Rojas Jr., if you like him, you know, you could you, you think he's a five-tool center fielder perhaps in right. the third round. And but he's not a middle infielder, go, and they've got Andrew McCutcheon I, in the big leagues. I mean, to me, if you're going to take one position player, you just don't take – you don't roll the dice on Mel Rojas Jr. For me, that's your only position player? That's That's not – I'm not on that myself. And I was going to say, another thing is, you know, there, there's talk that they may give uh, uh, Drew Maggi of, of Arizona State close to $500,000. So, I mean, again, I agree with you. I think they do need more kind of up-the-middle, multi-tool player. I mean, they have Andrew McCutcheon, obviously, in the big leagues, and they're hoping Sanchez is a, you know, solidifies catching. But uh, but I think it's fair criticism. But they, they, they did spend on a couple guys who, or, or may spend on a couple guys who could possibly address that this year. Jim, the Cardinals have been one of the most asked about teams, I'm sure, one of the most interested fan bases this year and what they're going to do in their draft. Because depending on who they, whom they sign and whom they don't, they could either have a bad draft or one of the best drafts, if not the best draft class. Zach Cox, the 25th overall, 
I don't think we thought he was the 25th overall player. We thought he was going to go better than that. Third, uh, their, their third player they picked, 50th overall, Tyrell Jenkins, most athletic pitcher in the draft. Jordan Swaggerty, a college reliever who's had uh, two great years, really, in college at Arizona State, 75th overall, uh, still unsigned. And then down there in the 12th round, uh, the aforementioned Austin Wilson, uh, as athletic, as talented a player, uh, position player, really, as there was in this draft after Bryce Harper. And after Harper, Machado, Tyone, it was wide open. You could have put Austin Wilson in that next category. So what do you think uh, – how do you think this shakes out for the, uh, for the Cardinals and Jeff Luna? That's not a team that's really spent a lot of money yet, Jim. I mean, Seth Blair for supplemental was that slot seven fifty one. That's yeah, about. Yeah, he was slot. I mean, if you sign those three guys, you know, Cox, Jenkins, and Swaggerty, that's probably four and a half million dollars. I just think and, it's. And I so think they'll, it's. They'll, they'll ramp it up, but other than you know, other than they've pretty much been slot unless there's somebody they signed late for two hundred or something. I think it's I hilarious. Think over slot guy yet. I think it's but kind of the, the one guy they kind of went a little higher for is Reggie Williams Jr., who was in our top 200 last year, but I got really negative feedback on this year in Georgia Junior Colleges, and he signs for uh, $125,000. That's, that, that's a surprise. i gotta, I got to tell you, that's a surprise to me. Well, the uh, funny thing is, too, I mean, you think of the Cardinals. I mean, they're the team that looks at stats, and everybody thinks they probably moneyballed the draft more than anybody. And, I mean, Reggie Williams is probably 180 degrees from moneyball. He's Absolutely. all tools, not production. Absolutely. So, no, you nailed it. You nailed it. 
Jimbo, Arizona Diamondbacks, as we wrap up National League West, uh, they've gotten a lot of publicity in a negative way for this draft. I think just the first pick, Barrett Lauk, sixth overall pick, we thought that was a stunner on draft day. We heard it might happen. I still think we thought it was a surprise that they took him sixth overall and definitely was not necessarily a value pick. That was a signability pick. And then he still has a signed reports that he's failed a physical. Uh, they still have an unsigned sixth-rounder in Blake Perry, unsigned eighth-rounder in Tyler Green. Do they have a guy later on that if they don't get a deal down, uh, done with Lauks for some reason, physical, whatever. Is there a guy later on, like an Austin Wilson type for them, they could you know, be like their backup first-round pick, basically? I don't think they have a, a first-round talent. They have guys, you know, you know Kevin Zivick in the left hander from Massachusetts in the 13th round. That's right. Football player. And Matt Graham, uh, Matt Roberts out of Graham High. And both, uh, yeah, Lin- I mean, they, they have guys. I mean, they have guys. I don't think any of those guys is pure first-rounder, but you can spend the money. And I just think... You know, I like Blake Perry, Tyler Green. I mean, those are, you know, Tyler Green could have maybe gone in the third round, but, I mean, he wasn't a first-round guy. Blake Perry, no. you know, was an interesting guy, but I think he kind of went about where he should have in the draft, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, with Louse, I just think it's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate situation because I do think, I, I think that pick was made to, to sign a guy, you know, for a little bit under slot and sign him fairly quickly. And, you know, there were teams that were worried about him from a medical standpoint before the draft. You know, nobody's, you know, the, 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 these reports, he's got fraying in his shoulder, and he had shoulder problems in high school, and there's maybe fraying in his elbow, and he had bone chips removed from the elbow last year. Th- those aren't made up. This isn't the, the Diamondbacks making stuff up to not sign him. I think they do have concerns. I mean, you don't, you get medical reports on players, but you get what, you know, what the advisor or the team or the school can send you. You don't do a full medical to, you know, where you're doing MRIs or whatever. Yeah, there's no I mean, combine. It wasn't like anything was being hidden, but it's not like you could have detected this beforehand. But there were teams that had concerns that would have picked him. And then when you get you do the physical, you know, to get ready to sign him, you, you know, you discover stuff that bothers you. I mean, there's been talk that uh, that maybe Jed Hoyer, I mean, not Jed Hoyer, Josh Burns, sorry, the, the former GM liked him more than maybe other people in the organization did, and, and Josh Burns isn't there anymore. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, they were they were taking the pick to save money in the first place, and now if they have medical concerns, I mean, you know, they, I think it's, it's unfortunate for Barrett, but if I'm the team, next year's draft is deeper, and if I do have legitimate medical concerns about the guy we took at six, who, to, to be fair, was somewhat of an overdraft, then I'd much rather have the pick next year. And, you know, I'm still going to have to spend the money then. It's unprotected. I'd much rather have the pick next year, and, and I think... It's unfortunate. I mean, the thing I think that will be interesting to see is what comes out of this, because I think in Barrett's case, you know, when, the, when, the, when Major League Baseball strengthened the compensation rules, it, you know, before 2007, you know, there were 20 years where if you didn't sign your first-round pick, you got a pick at the end of the sandwich round. So in the past, you know, before that change, if the Diamondbacks don't sign Barrett at number six, they get to save the 50th pick in next year's draft. That's a huge hit. But by not signing him, they'll get the seventh pick in a deeper draft, so they really don't lose anything. Um, but what I, I, I guess what I'm getting at, I'm, I'm rambling here, okay. uh, is they did not, I don't think anybody ever anticipated a situation where you would have a team walk away from a player because of a physical being failed and, and not money. Uh, you know, certainly not a guy picked that high. And, you know, the thing is with Barrett, too, he can pitch right now. It's not like he's incapable of pitching. He had a very good season. It's just concerned of how long is this going to hold up, you know, what's his future going to hold type of thing. Um, and again, 
This wasn't anything hidden. It was something that wasn't going to you know, it's What it's similar to, but it's a lot more high profile, John, is Scott Biddle with the Yankees a couple of years ago. I was going to say, actually, um, you know, Tim Stauffer, uh, Billy Traber is what it kind of reminds me of going but back a little bit deeper. I think needed surgery, and I don't think Barrett needs surgery. But in any okay. case, I guess my, my rambling Well, Scott point, Biddle, Scott I, I Biddle needed surgery, too. Gonna, if, if MLB and or the union, perhaps, might sit down and try to say, look, through no fault of his own in this situation we never anticipated, if Barrett Lowndes got put in a really tough spot, you know, what can be done about this? Right. So, uh, you're right. Um, but they may come up and try to come up with a way to make this less harsh because this isn't a case of Barry Lock saying he wants $5 million, the Diamondbacks saying you're crazy for <laughs> moving on. But, you know, everybody acted in good faith and really, you know, the compensation is going to make the Diamondbacks whole, but Barry Lock is really, really stuck. Yeah, you're right. That's a great that's a great way to put it. The compensation helps the Diamondbacks what is there for Barry Lock. It's a Baseball America podcast with John and Jim. We're wrapping up the National League West. We've gone through 26 of the 30 organizations and this has just been a very fun podcast and we hope You've learned a little something. And, Jim, the Colorado Rockies, uh, they're a team that might not sign its first-round pick. Kyle Parker's in charge of the first-team offense at Clemson. And uh, his self-imposed deadline, he and the Tigers did not meet. I mean, he and the Rockies did not meet. i got to tell you, I, I was surprised when he did not get signed. Are they going to shift some of that money to the likes of Peter Tago, their supplemental first-rounder? And what else? Are there any other players down the line the Rockies could uh, – you know, some of these players who could see a uh, Kyle Parker dividend. Well, I will, I will vehemently disagree with you on Kyle Parker. Okay. I think he's 99.9% going to sign. Okay. I think there was a misperception uh, with what the deadline was he gave the Rockies at the big, at the, I guess it was a couple weeks ago. Okay. Clemson's backup quarterback, as I understand it, and you know I don't follow ACC football too closely because I'm an SEC snob, but <laughs> I, I think their backup quarterback's a redshirt freshman who's never played before. And so what Parker wanted was if he was going to sign a deal to where he gave up football, it had to be before Clemson started football practice. He didn't want to be in a situation where Clemson gives, you know, Clemson, uh, Clemson, Colorado signed him away to a baseball-only deal on August 15th. I got you. practicing for three weeks, and Clemson all of a sudden has no quarterback experience, and they haven't gotten their other guy ready. So That's, honestly, that makes really me think. Two deadlines. He wanted, you know, they were talking, I believe, you know, Casey Kelly type of money, $3 million, to give up football, and the Rockies didn't want to go that high. So he, he's in football practice. I think they're going to sign him to a deal you know, close to slot, maybe around 1.5, where he plays football this fall and then joins the Rockies. You, know, you, can, you can structure the deal for a two-sport guy where you spread the money out. Uh, you can protect themselves against the injury. You know, he'd have to pass the physical. You can backload the deal. So I think he's actually going to sign um, probably for, you know, for less money than it would have cost if they bought him out of football. And I think it's less risk. If he was a pitcher... I'd be very wary about having the guy play quarterback where you get sacked the wrong way, your shoulder's gone, and you're done. He's an outfielder. Um, I think that one will get done somewhere between maybe slot and 1.5. I do think they'll get Peter Tago in the sandwich round also. That makes all kinds of sense, Jim. To be honest with you, I, I, I must have mis- just misread it. That just that makes so much more sense for a baseball-only deal. And honestly, it makes me respect Kyle Parker a whole lot that he didn't want to you know, mess with his team at the same yeah, time. Even, I don't even think it was a funny obviously would have taken more money, but I think he just said, you know, look, I feel like I owe the team, and so it's going to cost. And, you know, the thing is, too, I mean, he's kind of, he's on the other end of it, you know, the Rockies kind of played it smart, too. You know, if he doesn't get hurt this fall, you you probably save, you know, I don't know, $750,000 by, you know, doing this type of deal. And the thing is, he's not, he's a 
very good college quarterback, the first guy ever to hit, you know, 20 homers and throw 20 touchdown passes in the same academic year. Right. But, you know, he's a six-foot guy. He's not really an NFL potential guy. So it's not like a, a Jake Locker or a guy, you know, you're worried that he comes out and throws 35 touchdown passes and then the NFL's all over him. Sure, sure. I, I think he'll get done, and I think Toggle will get done, too. I like that. That makes me feel a lot better because I was actually starting to think that I had uh, goofed that up. So. Well, to be fair, I think it got reported a lot of places as they, they missed his deadline and now he's done. And it was it was a deadline, but it was a deadline to give up football for this fall. And I think people real, read it as a deadline to give up football. He's not giving up football, and you know now they're going to have a tough time signing him. But gotcha. that was, like you said, he was just trying to, to, to be loyal to his school. They've given him obviously a great opportunity, and you know they don't really have any kind of experienced quarterback. And he didn't want, you know, the Rockies to come in this weekend and say, okay, we'll give you $2.5 million. And then, you know, Davo Sweeney and the Tigers are trying to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. That guy's name, again, is Dabo. Dabo Sweeney. I just love it. That's the football coach at Clemson. It just fits. Jim, I'm going to throw you a little curveball. I'm skipping the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are the most fascinating team left. So we're going to hold them for last. Let's go on to the San Diego Padres. I personally, Jim, cannot believe Carson Whitson is not signed yet. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. He's going to sign, isn't he? Zach Cates going to sign. I mean, they have some other interesting guys. Barbado, Venegas, Dore, they're sixth, seventh, and eighth round picks. But they're going to sign Carson Whitson, aren't they? I think so. I mean, again, you take a guy at nine, you're not going to walk away from him. Um, I, think, I think, you know, reading between the lines on that one, you know, the, the number eight pick got about 100000 over slot. The number 10 pick got about 100000 over slot. So I'm sure the Padres are saying, hey, look, you know, you went nine. It's probably about as high as you were going to go. You should fit in between $2 million for Michael Choice and $2.15 million for Delano DeShields. And, and my guess is that, that, you know, just read between the lines, that Carson Woodson probably wants more than $2.15 So, But, again, I, I, I think I think that gets done. I think that's um, fair. That's I'm fair sure for him. I don't know how close that is, but I would think that would get done in the end. Don't you think that's fair, honestly, to, for him to ask for more than Delano DeShields? He was probably above Delano DeShields Jr., on 28 out of 30 draft boards. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, maybe maybe not quite the main, but I agree. And that's why, I mean, I, mean, I don't buy, you know, the holding on to deals and MLB, you know, leaning on teams to not give up money, you know, because it's going to affect all these other deals. I just don't buy it. I mean, the agents are smart. The players are smart. I totally agree with you. I mean, not that I don't like the line of the shield, but if you gave me my pick, I'd take... I would take, uh, you know, Carson, Carson Winston, Winston over him. And, you know, Carson Winston, I think by the time the draft rolled around, was the consensus number two high school pitcher in the draft. And, again, I mean, you know, the flip side is what if, what, you know, this didn't happen. What if the, the Astros said the line of the shield will give you $3 million? Yeah. You know, then would the team say, well, you know, we'll give you 2.9? I mean, all these negotiations are independent of each other. You're right. You know, what, what the Astros pay a high school athlete really doesn't have a total lot of bearing on what the Padres are going to pay a high school pitcher. That's a great point. Are you a little surprised that Zach Cates, the JUCO pitcher out of Northeast Texas CC, their third rounder, is not signed yet? I mean, the last line of your write-up is Cates hasn't committed to four-year school and should be signable. Yeah, I think he has committed, and that, you know, we wrote that in May. I think right. he committed, I want to say, to Oklahoma or Oklahoma State at this point. And, I can check that. You know, basically, now that he, it wasn't that he wasn't, you know, a lot of junior college players don't necessarily, I shouldn't say a lot, but in some cases, junior college players don't get their associate's degree, and they're not eligible to play D1 baseball. And so those guys are going to lean towards signing. And in Case's case, I think because he can't, does have that option, you almost have to view him as, as, I guess, a draft-eligible sophomore. I mean, he is. He's a sophomore yeah. in junior college. So 
he's got a little bit more leverage than a typical college player would have. I mean, he's a guy who's touched some 97s. Right. Uh, former catcher, you know, just really became a full-time pitcher this year, so you can see him getting better. And again, I mean, I don't know if that deal is done. I, I got to think, you know, he'll be an over-slot guy. But I would be surprised, again, if you're picking him in the third round, that you didn't kick the tires before the draft. You have to know. Well, he, i, I got to think he gets done. You know, it'll be interesting. I think the two guys who are most interesting about whether or not they get done. And I think Jose Dory in the eighth round will get done. But I think it's the sixth and seventh rounders. John, Barbato uh, and Venegas. Barbado or Barbado? I think it's Barbado. Barbado from Miami and uh, high school Miami. And then A.J. Venegas, high school kid from California. Uh, you know, Barbado is supposed to go to Florida. I think Venegas is He's a Stanford. Stanford. He's a Stanford. And I think both those guys are probably seven-figure price tag guys. So, um, but if they got them both, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a GM in Jed Hoyer and an assistant GM in Jason McLeod who came from the Red Sox who have invested heavily in the draft and been aggressive and signed, you know, a ton of $750,000, a million-dollar players. I, I wouldn't put it past them to get both those guys done. It would surprise me if they got them both done, but... You know, I can see him signing Whitson. I can see him signing guy Cates and Dore, and I can see him getting one of Barbado or Venegas. I got to tell you, Barbado. I think it just got tougher with Luke Jackson getting one point five five seven from Texas. I mean, Barbado and Luke Jackson were the top two high school pitchers in the Miami area, and there was a split camp. But I would say that most people thought that Jackson had better now stuff. The consensus was that Barbado had the better future because he had more compact delivery, better chance to start. And uh, if I'm John Barbado and I see that Luke Jackson got 1.557, I want the same or more. So that's, that, gonna... that's where it gets tough. I can see that, and that's why MLB hates these deals coming out. That's right. Um, and but... they're probably mad that we reported that because I don't think anybody else has reported Luke Jackson yet. But then on the flip side, I mean, it's tough. If I'm the Padres, I'm saying, look, I'm not the Texas Rangers. I didn't give them that deal. The other guy that's going to be interesting, John, who is – in your region that you cover for the draft is Sean Dwyer, who's one of the better high school hitters in Florida. I saw that too. Tremendous summer in the uh, Northwoods League. He's one of the better hitters in the Northwoods League, and you might see him get you know third round money possibly to sign. That's intriguing. I saw they drafted him. They also signed uh, <laughs> signed one of my favorites from last year's draft uh, and one of your least favorites, uh, Wes Cunningham, number one prospect in the uh, Jayhawk League last year. So um, interesting draft by. Uh, Jed Hoyer's uh, in first Jed Hoyer's first year in charge of the Padres organization. Yeah, they really drafted. I mean, they really drafted like the Red Sox draft. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, uh, let's go on to the Giants, a uh, team that used to draft very different from the way they draft now under John Barr. Um, what do you, you know? What's your take on the, the Gary Brown negotiations? Uh, there's no reason that he's not going to get done, is there? No, again, I think you know we'll talk about Zach Lee in a minute. I think all the first round picks in the draft are going to get done, except for Barrett Lauks, who we just and we'll get to Zach Lee in a minute. He'll sign. I mean, you know, again, he's a Boris Corporation guy. Boris Corporation guys very rarely are going to just sign for whatever MLB says is the slot number. You know, as one agent put it to me today, you know, the slot number, he tells his clients, you know, really the slot number, that's the number that you can sign for right away. That's all that number means. Um, you know, Christian Cologne signed for $2.75 million. Brown's teammate, another Boris guy, as the number four pick. I think that's a case where Cologne could have maybe fallen 10 or so picks if he didn't take the money at number four, um, and that was a good deal to take. I think Brown will probably get a little bit over slot. You know, maybe you know, the slot's 1.242. Maybe he gets a million and a half. And again, I mean, this is the silliness. If he gets a million and a half, 
That's 258000 over slot, and we can't possibly learn about a deal like that yet. I know. <laughs> I would even suspect, and I'm just guessing here, I don't have any secret insights into the, the Boris Corporation. Though with the, you know, the high-profile guys, they have to get signed. You know, Harper and Machado are going to go down to the wire, and you know, Matt Harvey's out there, and they have other guys too. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Gary Brown's wrapped up or gets wrapped up very soon, and we just don't find out about it for a couple of days. And then Jared Parker at 74, not signed, and that's a different kind of deal. I mean, they got to sign that guy. I mean, that guy. I will say Jared Parker actually could maybe improve himself if he went to college and actually hit, but it would have helped him more if he went to, back to the Cape and hit with wood. Yeah, I think the toughest, uh, the toughest maybe not uh, the toughest negotiations maybe are with guys like, you know, we mentioned Austin Waits earlier. And Jared Parker's a guy who, you know, and I, and I think has more ceiling than Austin Waits, but if Jared Parker had the year people hoped, he would have been a first-round pick. But instead he's a second-round pick. Um, and he's a college junior, so he doesn't really have a whole lot of leverage if he goes back. But he gets stuck in, uh, you know, if I'm the agent, I'm sitting there trying to negotiate a deal based on the type of player he can be. And if I'm the Giants, I'm trying to negotiate a deal based on the type of player he's been and where he went in the draft. And, you know, those will get – I mean, again, you know, 93% of the guys in the first 10 rounds are going to sign. Uh, you had to have an idea of what he wanted when you took him in the second round. Um, do I think he's going to sign for 492.3, which is his slot? No. Um, you know, is he going to get a million dollars? Yeah, I don't know if the Giants would go that high. I don't know what his asking price is. But I would bet in the end he gets done because, again, I mean, next year's a deeper draft. You know, is he going to really gamble and go back as a senior? I mean, you, you, you don't have the leverage. I mean, you'd almost have to go in the first round as a senior to get more money next year, and that's a risk. So I think they'll get him done. But, again, you know, it seems like every year, you know, second or third round, there's maybe one guy who had thought he might go higher, team thought they could sign him, it doesn't happen. Who knows? Maybe it's him. Yeah, now he's, that's an interesting one. Well, let's wrap up with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think uh, this is the one that's gotten the most attention this year because Zach Lee – on draft day, so many people thought that the Dodgers were punting this pick. Um, I think you and I both did not think they were punting this pick, but they might. Uh, the chances of signing Zach Lee, uh, Jim, and Kevin Gossman, their six rounder, what is this like a twenty percent chance, thirty percent chance? Am I am I being too optimistic? I, I will take if you're offering uh, four to one odds or one to four odds uh, that they they don't sign both. I will take those odds. Um, well, let's start with Gossman. I mean, he's, a, he's like a, a couple high school players that have gone out and played in college summer leagues, shown a very good arm, uh, which isn't, you know, he had, a, he had a, not the spring necessarily everybody hopes, but again, he comes from a cold weather state, and that happens to those guys sometimes. I don't think there's any chance to sign Kevin Gossman, uh, to be honest with you. I think, I don't know what number he's asking for. I, I sense. 2.5 uh, to 3 is it was the word, yeah. I don't think the McCourts are going to give him that. But I, I do have a, a new theory. Only one McCourt. <laughs> uh, that's true. There's two. It's just why well, he's one on the team. Um, yeah. But she probably doesn't want uh, her, her soon-to-be divorced husband spending money that they'll divide up later either. But, that's uh, right. But anyway, get to Zach Lee. I have, I have a new theory, um, and, and I'll, I'll throw that out there. Um, I'm with you. I mean, there was all there. Well, since they took him, there was talk. Oh, they're punting the pick. They took a guy. They're not going to sign. I don't buy that because if you don't sign him, you're just going to spend the money on the pick next year. You know, you, you, you're going to save the money for a year. You, know, you save the cost of, you know, like it might be wind up being $30,000 in terms of the interest you can earn on the money. Um, the weird thing was, you know, all spring I was told, you know, area scouts, you know, I don't even know if there's a number you can sign this guy at. You know, I'm not sure you can get him for three or four million. And right before the draft, guys were starting to tell me, you know, the vibes changed a little bit. You know, people kind of thought that he might have a deal cut with somebody 
that something was going on. So, you know, I, of course, thought of the usual suspects, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Tigers, and then on draft day, you know, if you had me line up the teams, okay, rank the teams in order that they're, they're likely to draft Zach Lee, I probably would have put the Dodgers 30th and they popped him. That's right. Um, I think, well, I know they really, really like him. I think they took him because they really, really like him. Um, I, I, my, my initial theory was that perhaps they thought they could do some kind of deal where they let him play football at LSU and, you know, give him, I don't know, 500, you know, something below slot to tie up his baseball rights, which, you know, saves them some money, but it's also risky because he's a quarterback. Um, you know, probably gets Richard this year, but, you know, if you get tackled the wrong way, your pitching career could be over. But now I, I have a new theory, and we'll see if this comes to fruition. I, and this is just me guessing. I have no inkling that this is coming down, but... The Dodgers, I think, right now, from my calculations, have spent about a million and a half total on the draft. Um, they haven't signed anybody over slot. Um, they signed guys under slot. You know, they took some seniors at the end of the, you know, end of the top ten rounds. Right. Um, I don't. I don't think there, there's any chance they're going to sign Kevin Gossman. So let's cross him off. Really, the, the two guys, that the, the other guys that they have out there, they could possibly spend money on are a high school outfield from California named Jock Peterson. Uh, who's committed to USC, mm-hmm. and, or I should say Southern California for the SEC fans out there. You know, the, actually, but, Southern California won a, won a lawsuit, and South Carolina cannot call itself USC. Well, I can call them USC. You can, but uh, you'd be wrong. They're, you they're, can they're, call, they're the, the preeminent you, USC. Anyway, he's going to start California. <laughs> okay. Scott Shevler of uh, Des Moines Area Community College had a great summer in Northwoods League. He might get money, but I mean, you're not talking, I don't think, you know, seven figures on those guys. So anyway, here's my theory. And again, again I, I, I'm, just, I'm just guessing here. I like this. I love it. I love the talk it out to yourself theory. This is awesome. Okay, here's, here's my theory. And again, I don't think they're necessarily, I don't think they're going to sign him. But, but I've maintained all along. I think they've got a better chance than most people will give him credit for. Because I, I, again, I just don't think you just pick the guy if you have no chance. I, I wonder if they sign Zach Lee for around $3 million and their total, you know, and their draft comes in at four and a half, that's probably, you know, I mean, that's below average for what a team spends on the draft. That's probably in line for what they, they budgeted for the draft. I, I, I think I think that your theory is correct. They could spread it out over five years. Um, I love it. I, I would love for the Dodgers to sign Zach Lee. I mean, I don't think you can give him, even if you spread it, I don't think you can give him that kind of money, and even if there's injury guarantees in there, and let him play football. I agree with you there. But again, you know, I was just looking at Those it, just don't work out. A couple guys, and you were looking at this. I mean, right now they're on pace to spend less than I think any team. I can ever remember that had all its picks. I mean, they have a first-round pick. Uh, you know, usually, you know, when you see teams like the Astros or the Giants, you know, who spent, you know, just, you know, under $2 million, it's because they don't have picks in the first couple rounds. But I, I'm beginning to wonder, and again, nobody's tipped me off. I have no secret insight. But I wonder if the fact that they've basically, I don't think they've gone over slot for anybody and gone under slot for some guy, you know, signed some seniors for $25,000, $35,000, if they're going to spend two-thirds of their draft budget on Zach Lee. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes it's just logical, Jim. That's the best thing about it is uh, you have information uh, all around uh, on all sides of this, and that's just logical. You've thought that out for a couple months. I know it's not a not a knee jerk reaction. It just doesn't make sense for them to punt that pick, no matter how what their cash flow is like. So this has been the longest podcast in baseball America history. I'm pretty sure this eclipses the uh, even the regional by regional breakdowns that Aaron and I have done. But for some reason, even though I don't want to do long podcasts as a matter of course, and I'm sure we'll end up splitting this one up, this has just been a lot of fun. So well, I've enjoyed it too. I mean, we, we set out to go over 30 teams worth of uh, 
signing uh, gossip and, and what we thought was going to happen. And, uh, you know, if we do two, two three minutes of team, that takes you to an hour and a half right there. Yeah, absolutely. And a few teams we got a little bit longer, a few teams a little bit less. Sorry, Twins fans. It's just not as exciting stuff going on. The Twins just do their due diligence, and they draft the way they're going to draft, and they don't have a lot going on. But Monday will be an exciting day. I think you'll be able to follow all of it at BaseballAmerica.com on our draft blog. In case it crashes, as has been the past, <laughs> as has been the case in the past, you'll want to follow us on Twitter. Um, you know, we try to blog a lot of these, uh, po- cross post a lot of these, and Jim, we might even just post them all on the at Baseball America Twitter feed. But of course, if you're not already following Jim Callis, you're oh, what are you waiting for? You're one of the few people who's not following Jim at Jim Callis BA. I'm at John Manuel BA. Aaron Fit at Aaron Fit. Uh, Connor Glassy at Connor Glassy. All four of us, I think, will be doing a lot of tweeting that day. But as usual, Jim, you, you carry the freight for us when it comes to the draft, and uh, we love it. We love uh, we love you doing that, and that, it seems like you have fun with it, and we had fun on this podcast. So thanks a lot. Okay, like I said, it's like uh, it's like in, you know, maybe I have to wait to open my presents this year till December twenty seventh, but I'm going to get more presents, and it'll be a, it'll be a busy Monday uh, figuring out who goes where. A manic Monday here at BaseballAmerica.com. We will be there all day to take you through the draft signing deadline. So for Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. We thank you so much for the podcast uh, download as uh, David Bowie takes us out on my cell phone here on the Baseball America podcast sponsored by MLB Network. Until next time, so long, everybody.